I'm being honest, this, this is a hard one to sum up. And I mean that in a good way. Um, as I listen back to this episode, um, you know, it was a bit of a longer episode for us, but we touched on a lot of things. Um, and you'll see, right? Like you'll see in the write-up and, and, and you'll hear it. Uh, Keith has a, a really strong background, right? He's a, he's a crisis specialist. He's a marriage counselor. He's an author. He's an educator. Um, he does counseling. He, he clearly spends a lot of time and has spent a lot of time and has, has a mind for it to, to understand people. He sees trends. He sees human nature. And you'll hear that come out in this conversation as we talk through various different topics and all sorts of different real life, philosophical, didn't matter where it went. Um, just really interesting insights and perspective. So lots packed into this episode. A lot of great insights that, that Keith shared. Um, so, so really, really interesting in that regard. I think one of the big themes that came out of it that I found particularly interesting was as, as we kind of worked through the episode, um, Keith has a view that in some ways life is a battle. Um, the world is a battleground. There, there's good and there's evil. And those on the good side, there's almost a responsibility to, um, to, to do their part to make the world a better place. Now, as I say that, it, it could sound like that means like... Um, you know, you should, we should be out there fighting. We should be out there, um, you know, attacking the other side, the evil. It's not that. As you hear this conversation with Keith, it's much more nuanced, much more complex. Um, that battle is almost a psychological battle. It's the reason I think his, his value of transparency is so important to him. For him, it's about understanding ourselves, being honest with ourselves, being honest with the world around us so that we can get to better outcomes. So those people that are on the quote-unquote evil or bad side, I think sometimes it's, it's, it's because they don't have transparency. They don't have clarity of their own thinking in their own mind, which aligns a lot with how I think too. Um, but we talked about that a lot. Is, is it a battle? Um, is it good versus evil? What does good actually mean? How do you know you're on the good side? You know, all, all those types of philosophical questions we got into. Um, and we did it through a number of different lenses, you know, political, racial, all, all different ways to look at it. Uh, one of the things towards the end that I found really, really interesting and I'm still thinking about is as I was probing on that to say, but but how do you know you're on the right side? How do you know if you're doing good? Because, you know, I, I don't trust my own mind. And Keith's point was you, you focus on the outcomes. If you look at the outcomes, that's got to be the guide um, to tell us. And I think that's really, really interesting. Um, the idea that because I, I think of it for myself from people that I know today, there's so many people that are that, that mean well they want the country to be better they want to help people they, they care about humanity but yet the the means in which they're trying to get there right there's so many people that are angry they're yelling they're insulting they're attacking that focus on the outcomes would say hey you might think you're doing the right thing but look at the state of the country look at the state of the world we're in today the outcome's not good right now that has to force you to question yourself and say hey am i am i approaching this right Am I on the right side of this thing? Am I being transparent with myself and honest with myself to say, you know, I, I'm looking at this thing the right way? I thought that was that was a really interesting tidbit. But as I said, tons of interesting things in this episode. Um, big thanks to Keith for being on, kind of sharing his perspectives, his knowledge. Uh, so let's get into it. All right, Keith, thanks so much for being on, man. Really do appreciate you making the time. I will get right to the first question of what's the value that's most important to you? Ah, oh, man. Uh, for me, it is transparency. And I know that's a little bit different. But for me, it is transparency because when you allow people to see who you really are, often you get that back and it clears the way 
to a lot of negativity, gets it out of the way, and it allows you to have real conversations. Now, sometimes very difficult conversations, but it allows you to have some very real conversations. And I find that through transparency, you can make more people comfortable with difficult things about themselves. Hmm. Hmm. Where, why that? I mean, I, I, I get that. I love transparency too. I love it. Why, why for you is that such the important, the most important value? Because for 37 years, I lived my life in a way that would be considered very negative. Hmm. I was a, a person um, who, between vanity and other reasons, lived in a way that was very misogynistic, uh, very whorish, if you want to use that term. And in the last 17 years, it has been, as a man of faith, it has been one where I've tried to fix a lot of the damage that I believe I caused um, in that time. And I find that my greatest weapon is the transparency because it allows people to see the new me, but have questions and conversations about the old me. And I don't run from what I used to be. And that is why the transparency is, is necessary mm -hmm. because it allows to have, as I mentioned, a very difficult conversation, which may be difficult for other people. It's not difficult for me. I have no problem talking about what I was. But because I laid out on the table, people feel comfortable to ask what would normally be probing questions that they might feel uncomfortable asking, or how did you do that? Or why did you do that? And in doing that, we can start the healing to others because now they have permission to be okay to deal with their own dirt. Mm. So what's interesting is transparency. I, I imagine it first has to start with yourself, right? You got to be transparent with yourself. And it, and it sounds like at least now that's something you're good with. It's easy with, for you. In the past, you talked about, you know, the misogyny, some of the other stuff. Was it the same then? Like at that point in time when you were living that life, were you being honest with yourself about what it was? Or do you feel like you didn't, you didn't No. So you oh, thought, of course okay. not. No, what was course the story not, because... you were telling yourself then? Oh, that it was all about me, that mm. I can have and do whatever I want to do. And people's feelings didn't matter. Um, anytime you're selfish, anytime for a male that's practicing misogyny, you have grafted a, a world around you where you believe you're the most important thing. And for a lot of men, what contributes to that is the circles of, of, of men that most of us have around us. We have things like the bro code. Well, if you really break down the bro code, what it is? the opportunity to be as nasty as I want with no accountability and you shouldn't tell on me because that's the bro code. Mm. Okay. Mm. And then we have older men who have lived by some of these same corny standards who feed it to younger men. And after a while, the damage that is done is the result in our relationships with our, our women, our relationship with our children, or just the breakdown of marriage itself. So when you look at it, you are hundred percent right. When it starts with me, if there's no accountability, and there's, there's no stability as, as, as also, well, then how could you have anything positive? Now, some positive things may happen, but in the long run, they, they get blown up because you're not really the person that you're selling the person that you're trying to get with. Mm. So is that what it was for you? Were you, I guess, back to that point, like, were you telling people, were you knowingly lying about what you were? Or- of were you, did you believe genuinely that you were the most important person then? Like, no, 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 that's, that's, this is right. I'm living the right way. <laughs> no, it's, it's all lies. And most people know they're lying. Mm. And the reason why you know you're lying is because you know who you are long before you open your mouth. Mm. And I think that's the one thing that once you come full circle, liars are lying for a reason. And most of the time it's a pure selfish reason. They're attempting to gain something, whether it's sex, money, prestige, whatever it is, they know they're lying. So when called on it, 
one of the first things that they do is deflect. The second thing is attempt to make you seem as if something's wrong with you mm. for questioning them. Mm. So they make you the bad guy, even though you're a hundred percent the bad guy. Mm. See, because somebody could hear that and say sex, money, power. I mean, those are good things, right? Some would say. Not necessarily. Depends. Not necessarily, though, right? So, yeah, so talk <laughs> to me about that. Yeah, like how, because a lot of people might think, like, I do want those. If I'm being honest, if I'm being transparent, I do actually want those things because they make me mm -hmm. feel good. Yeah. Question is, how do you get them? Mm. See, it's like anything else. A win is a win. So we're told. Mm. So then that means cheating to win is okay, right? No. See, it's the verbiage that is used to hide the foolishness. See, many of us will create very intricate language to make bad behavior sound good. I'm a former educator. Well, actually, I'm always an educator. You never stop being an educator. But I'm a 20 plus year educator in the New York City Department of Education before I moved to Delaware. Mm. And in those times in school, one of the things I wasn't, I didn't focus on was the adults. I focused on the kids. Over that time, what I've come to learn is that our children are the products of the foolishness we put into motion, but yet we blame children. Can't blame a child who comes out of the womb a blank slate. So what happens is now, after leaving New York and retiring from the Department of Education, I'm now a personal uh, therapist. So one of the first things that I do when working with clients is I make them own what they did mm. by understanding where it came from. So you have to be honest with yourself because yes, yeah, sex, money, all of that is part of the game. It is how did you go about getting it? If you weren't talented enough to become a superstar, so you took steroids, was that okay? Well, we later find out no. And what's the damage? Not only did it hurt the game, whatever game that you was in, it hurts you personally. So again, the win is not the win. It is the method of which you go to get the win. So those things, things are never bad. It is the mindset that we place on why we want it and then the route that we take to go and get it. Mm. So I want to get into that a little bit, the, sure. the, the method being bad. But before we get to that, um, or, or, or the method mattering, what, what, what's, what was your why? why? Why did you end up with that lifestyle? Was it, what was it that led you to that when you were living? I was there? a hood kid who didn't have his father at the time. And when you live in South Jamaica, Queens, in, in, in New York City, the streets have a whole different language, a whole different movement. My mother and grandmother did the best they could, but as a young man, I was in, impressionable by what I was exposed to. You can't live in a negative environment and it not have some type of negative effect. Now, one of the things my mother had said to me very young was the projects might be where we live, but it's not how we think. Mm. So I had that balance, at least when I walked through that I had a mother and grandmother who was trying to make sure that I did the right things. And then I moved to Jersey for about, South Jersey for about seven, seven years when I was younger. So I was able to live in the country and that balance I think was just enough to keep the full embodiment of the streets. So when I came back to New York at 12, I was born in Queens, left when I think five, lived in Jersey for seven years. When I came back at age 12, a lot of those impressionable years were spent in South Jersey. So a lot of that foundational learning that you learn when you're a preteen was done in the country. So when I came back in the late 70s, my question was, why do folks act that way? Why do folks talk that way? Why are everybody so aggressive? So I never fully embodied what I was seeing, mm. but because I lived it and I was living in it, yes, I, was, I became a part of my environment. So a lot of what I saw shaped what I did, like many of us. You're the product of what you're exposed to on a regular basis, except I did have a little balance and that little balance was enough to keep the lights on as I got older.
what was it like? Because I think for a lot of people, recognizing that is the hardest part. You touched on it already, right? You said, you, we already know. We already know that. What was that like for you? Was it like, did it feel like living in conflict all the time? Was it, was it, did you enjoy life at that point? Like, did things feel good in the moment? What, what yeah, told I you mean, that there was a problem? Well, here's the thing is, when you're coming up, you don't realize it's a problem if the environment around you is negative. Right. And, and the example that I make is simple. My wife and I joke about this. If all you ate was Chuck steak, which is something in the hood about all you yeah. can afford, you will say Chuck steak is the greatest steak that was ever made. Mm. But the minute that you have a filet mignon, the mm. minute that you have a porterhouse, the minute that you have a, a great ribeye or a T-bone, now you have the conflict that you're talking about. Mm. Now it's, wait a minute. Now here's the real challenge. Do you now accept that what you had was trash and accept that the newness is actually what it should be, or do you reject it because it's so different than what you've been exposed to and go back to what you're comfortable? So that balance is what happens to a lot of folks. Most people, if they're exposed to something better, want it, but a lot of people reject it and they go back to what's comfortable. No matter, And then they'll literally create a barrier so they don't go back to something that's uncomfortable. So the conflict is always there. Mm. And that conflict, you see it, whether it's in movies, you see it in music, you see it in entertainment, you see it in every walk of life, that when a person is, 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 is um, introduced to something new, the conflict is, oh my God, everything that I've learned up until this point has not been what I thought it was. Now, what do I do? If you don't have enough support going forward, then a lot of us go back. In, in every aspect of life. And that's why it's critical when you're exposed to something new, what else are you exposed to or what is your support system at the time? That's what I did as an educator. I tried to introduce to students in the, in the urban environment something new, but then I stayed with them, used myself as an example to be able to go, no, you can go forward because look at me. I am a product of some of the same environments that you guys are in now. I'm just not there anymore mentally. This is how I'm able to teach you. But what to your point, there's always conflict when you're talking about negativity and positivity, always. So where, where do you think this comes from for you, Keith? Because I've seen some of your work. I watched some of the videos and even just talking to you now, you seem to be a super observant, thoughtful person. Like you seem to, to have a view of the world where you, you see things, right? You see the trends, you see some of these themes. Is that just through experience? Is that something that you think you were born with? Is that something that you touched on, you know, your mom, your grandmother taught you maybe? Where, where'd that come from? All of it, all of, um, it. all of it. And I think all of us have, well, I'm a religious man too. All of us have unique gifts, but life is designed to give us many different looks. It goes back to your acceptance. Um, you, you saw earlier when you were laying down what we we're gonna talk about, you said we may even get philosophical. Mm -hmm. Well, that is one of the things that's missing. We've gotten so black or white, boom, left or right, that we don't have philosophical conversations of the what if. Mm. We're not dreaming anymore. Mm. We're not fantasizing anymore. It's do this, do this now, give me this, give me this now. So for me, it's been a little bit of everything, but I think my love for comics always kept that hint of, of, of something bigger or better. But also, you, I was an intelligent kid and intelligence is always gonna seek out newness. It's just, I wasn't in many environments where the intelligence was, was smiled upon. See, that's another thing in urban environments, being intelligent doesn't make you cool. Mm. So now you have to decide. So we have cool kids acting 
like they're tough, acting like bullies. Well, what happens if you, what, what do we say, fake it till you make it mm-hmm. in, in, in certain environments? Well, think about where that comes from. So if an intelligent kid acts like a thug long enough, what does he become? Thug. So that's what happened. So for me, it was just the fact that I was introduced to so much. But honestly, I'll tell you, the biggest thing I think helped with all of that. I have ADD. Mm. And having ADD, my mother never allowed them to, one, give me medication, two, put me in special ed because I was too smart. But I was always told my behavior. I was always told I talk too much. I was always told he doesn't pay attention. It wasn't until years later and really analyzing and studying ADD with the students that I work with that I was able to self-diagnose. That ADD is a gift mm-hmm. when you know how to work it because I have the ability to listen to multiple conversations and siphon them off. I have the ability to do multiple things at the same time. And attention deficit means that I don't lack the ability to not pay attention. What I do is I can pay attention to everything. So when teachers would go, why are you not paying attention? They were wrong. Actually, I need you to focus in on this find a way to shut everything else out until this gets done. And then their job was to now stimulate me to keep me in the other aspects. They didn't know how to deal with me, but the teachers who did, I responded. The teachers Mm -hmm. who didn't, I tore their rooms up. Mm -hmm. So again, it goes back to what you're saying is it's a matter of all of it plays a role. But then of course, along the way, there's those baton holders who say, I got you. Mm -hmm. I'll hold it for you. Now move on to the next. If you don't have that, you go back to what's comfortable. Mm. yeah it's funny you're making me think of my son my son I, I don't know if he has ADD to be honest with you I, he hasn't been diagnosed or anything like that but mm. so much what you're saying I think about with him and I'm so often saying like hey you just got to focus and he, like, he wants to listen to music when he's doing his homework I he wants to get up and dance he's eight well that's the first tip off you just said it if he wants to do something else when you're trying to get him to sit still don't stop him ask him why mm. And he'll probably say, because I like listening to the music, Dad, because it helps me to focus. Now, That's you go, that sounds stupid. Yeah. But it's not stupid. He's actually saying, I'm trying to shut off part of my brain. The music does that. And I and I guarantee you he's smart. Yeah, he is. He guarantee is. He, he likes is. video games. Yeah. Yeah. So often it is because the people around certain folks who don't get it. So what's the first thing when people don't understand? They snuff it out. Snuff it out. Yeah. Well, and it ties back to your value, right? A transparency in, in the purest form. It's all about trying to see things for what they are, not assuming we know what it is, not trying to make it what we want it to be, but actually letting it be what it is. And that's, exactly. that's powerful, man. Like you said, it's not easy. No, it's not. And it's, it's a form of mindfulness therapy, which means mindfulness means staying in the moment. Mm. And often in my counseling sessions, I tell folks, we're going to go in the past to get the information, not the emotion. Mm. There's enough emotion here, but I need information from what happened. We'll bring that forward. And then by dealing with that in the present, we now can help change your future. So it's three-dimensional thinking, but it is without the emotion. The thing I think I've learned over the years, the biggest thing for me is leaving emotion on the table and not becoming emotional in situations where other people would. And by not getting emotional, my clarity doesn't dissipate, stays where it is. Often the reason why we lose clarity is because we get emotional Sometimes they're very little things. Well, once you're emotional, you're blind. Yeah. But how do you stop it? Because that's the hardest thing for a lot of people, right? They they feel like they can't stop. It's just, it's, it's inevitable. You can't practice, practice, um, a a lot of understanding of what you read. Um, the art of war is a great book, Mm -hmm. but also entertaining yourself in the areas that you're strong at. So in the areas that you're weak, you have something to fall back on. It took me years to get here, but the thing that I understood was 
Emotion can be controlled if you already know what triggers you. So if you know what triggers you, then you're already ahead because you either remove yourself from a situation or you've already put yourself in a position to deal with what's going to come. So you outthink the situation to be able to place yourself in the best place possible. How does a surgeon stand there sometimes for three, four, five, six, seven hours, knowing that if I make a small mistake, this person could die. Mm. So you can control this if you practice controlling this. Most people don't. So you have a lot of animalistic urges that just come to the forefront. Like I'll give you one that you probably have never heard of, right? Anger's an emotion, right? Secondary emotion. Yeah. It is a secondary emotion. You know why? You stub your toe. The pain that you feel is the initial emotion, the hurt, the anger comes because of that. Mm. Most people are reacting to the secondary emotion, but if you can beat that and deal with the initial emotion, you never get angry. Yeah. Well, I like what you're saying a lot because firstly, it ties again back to transparency, transparency on what's actually happening for you. But I, I agree. I, I've, I've, I've thought that before. The way I've, I think of it sometimes is um, like fear. For me, it's often fear that gets translated into anger, right? Mm-hmm. And it could be anything. It could Even the situation with my son we're talking about. Mm-hmm. When he's not focusing on his homework and I start to now get angry, exactly what you said. If we can understand what actually the clarity to understand where's that anger actually coming from. And maybe it's fear that he's not going to do well in school. He's going to become mm-hmm. a failure. I'm screwing up as a dad. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I've witnessed this for myself, the power to recognize that trigger and to say, okay, I see what's happened here, but even more so if you could do it proactively and exactly. say, I know I'm about to go help my son with this homework. I already know that I have a trigger here that I'm worried <laughs> that I'm going to screw something up. Exactly. It's not going to guarantee you're going to get it right, but you give yourself a much better chance. It's going to calm everything down. Exactly. Where are you located in the, in the, in the world? New York, uh, New York, Long Island, New York. Oh, you're Long Island. Where in Long Island? Uh, Smithtown right now. Okay. I bowl in Smithtown. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you got to look at it. Like, let's take Long Island. I'm glad you said it. In, in New York, you got Long Island has one mindset, Queens, one mindset, mm. Brooklyn, one mindset, Manhattan, another mindset. So what happens is when you have those individuals in certain environments, when you can separate all the other foolishness, you and I both know New Yorkers will sit down and have a conversation with anybody. Mm-hmm. But the minute that you place any individual in their common environment where the influence of what's around them comes into place, now you all the foolishness comes which is the minute if you can get the two people who are literally, and I don't care whether it's race, I don't care if it's, it's gender, I don't care what it is. When you can take the two individuals, move them to the side and just give one person who has the ability to keep things calm, you will figure it out all the time. I've been in many a bar where it's got to turn into something super critical. And if one person goes, hey, hey, come on, fellas, let's go outside, You just you two, everybody will stay here for a second. Now you get outside, you realize that it was over foolishness. Mm. And if they can walk back in and everything's calm, all of a sudden the, the rest dies down because there's there's no antagon, there's no antagonistic energy, anything. And that goes through anywhere in the world. But the problem is we let that lather up. Now it gets away from what the original issue was. Now everybody else brings their foolishness to the table. They bring their energy. And all of a sudden now we have a, a situation. Yeah, a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me let me ask you the philosophical question. Do you sure. do you think because I worry about this? I don't know. Do you think it's realistic for us to expect people at scale, right? Mass amounts of people to figure this out and actually be better and be able to control their emotions, have that transparency, have that clarity. Cause I worry, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think we'll ever get back. I don't think we ever were at a point um, where masses of us did that, but it was enough of us who were out front holding the masses back 
that we could have those conversations. I think because of social media in the last 10, I even say 15 years, but really de yeah, definitely the last 15 years, because of social media, what it's done is allowed people to only hear a voice they want to hear. And anytime you have someone who only can hear what they want to hear, they never get to experience someone from another position. Well, that hardens your ears, it hardens your heart, and it closes your eyes to so much. And because we have a steady stream of negativity amongst the positivity, I don't think we can get to that point, especially in the last four years with what just happened or what's going on in politics. Sure. Because we've always had a racial issue in this country. This, this, that's not nothing mm -hmm. new. But when you start allowing folks who are clearly negative to come to the forefront and they're rewarded, now the danger has always been this. And, and I, don't, I don't shy away from color issues because really the color issue is, is, a, is a minor thing. It's the fact that people don't step up and say anything. Case in point, you're a white man, I'm a black guy. We're having a conversation. No one's at war. But there's people who hate the fact that you and I even talking. But the problem is they have hordes of people that they can talk to that will never actually come and listen to us or talk to us and only listen to that person. So by the time they meet you, don't want to hear you. Hmm. By the time they meet me, they want to harm me simply because they don't believe that I'm an educator. So what happens is the voices of us, the ones who go, nah, it's not that bad. If we just settle down, it's overridden. So we've seen it. And now what happens is the negatives that we were trying to fix don't get fixed. They actually get heightened and worse yeah. because you can't have the same problems in the 1960s in certain communities in 2022 and say that we've had advancements. Mm. Again, no transparency doesn't work. You also can't say that we did. We had assassinations in the 60s that we never recovered from that now we're so far removed that honesty is actually not a thing. We literally have people standing in front of cameras lying. And then when called on a lie, no, no, you didn't hear what I said. Mm. No, I did. I'm gonna show you a video of what you said. It's fake. So think about if our children, I always try to bring this up to adults. If you said to your child, why did you eat the cookies? I didn't. I saw you eat the cookies. No, that's fake news. You didn't eat, I didn't use, you, you think you saw me, I didn't eat the cookies. At some point, you're gonna exercise your right as a parent in whatever form that works for you. Mm -hmm. It may be physical, <laughs> it may be whatever. Cause at some point you're gonna be like, I'm not dealing with this BS, come here. <laughs> now add 10, 15 years to that child. Add 10, 15 years to yourself. We now have adults saying, no, I, ain't, I didn't do any of that. We have your video, don't care. And other adults are saying, you're right, you didn't. So where are we supposed to go? What, what, where, where does that all come from? Like, where, what's, what's it say about us? What does it say about the world? Is it, is it a bad place? Like, is it, is it just where we, this world we live in, there's some good aspects to it, but overall it's a bad place. I can't give up on the fact that there's good people in a bad world. The problem that I have is that we don't have enough folks who are calling a spade a spade and, and not in a negative way, mm. case in point. I bring up the people of color. We have allies and have always had allies. Slavery ended or during slavery, we had people who didn't look like us, who helped us to get to the North, who assisted us. I tell my white brothers and sisters, you're not helping me if your hands are not as dirty as mine. Mm. 
because and I was and I'm 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 reading John Thompson's book I came as a shadow and he talked about he never got upset at anybody who was white who didn't speak up because he knew that they were risking more to help me than they were gained by helping me. Mm -hmm. So he understood it. So he just didn't bother me. I'm a, I feel a little bit different. If you call me an ally, that's like if you call me a friend, then you got to stand there shoulder to shoulder with me, and we got to take this ass whipping together. Pardon my language. No, I and get as, it. As we as we as we heal up, we'll figure out what we got to do because if we don't stand toe to toe about what's wrong, your eight year old son and my seven year old daughter are going to have tremendous problems. I am raising my daughter to not see not I hate that term. I don't see color. I'm raising my seven-year-old daughter to see people hmm. and ask challenging questions, but then do something with the information that you get. Hmm. Yes, there are white people. Yes, there are black people. That, that don't mean that y'all can't be friends. I got a picture somewhere around here on my computer. Our neighbor had two, two, two kids and they were white. And the little boy and my daughter would play all day. So they're sitting on a, on a cooler. Their back is to me. And there's American flag sitting right between them. And they're kind of both sitting there and they were resting because they had ran around. And I said, that right there is the vision that most people don't pay attention to. Mm. Young white kid, young black girl, American flag. That's what it's supposed to be about. We've gotten away from it because, and, and especially when we talk about New York, I didn't realize what racism was until I came to New York back in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. Didn't see it in South Jersey because we were all broke. So you were Puerto Rican and broke, you were white and broke, you were black and broke. We all lived in the same place. So when I came to New York, here's what happened. And this is what I've seen. And it started to make sense as I became a teenager into the 80s. When you have areas of Brooklyn, all Italian. When you have areas of, of Queens, all Irish. When you have areas of Brooklyn, all Haitian, all Jamaican. You have areas of Manhattan, all Chinese. And some people in those communities never come out. They don't go anywhere except when they ride the train, the bus, or go to municipalities. So for the most part, they are living in what is a microcosm of what they like. Well, anytime you can have that fostered, well, then now this is where we have problems when new people come into their communities. It's whatever they want to do. We don't have enough melting together. We don't have enough folks come together. And the reason why I know it can work, go to any Giants game, Go to any Jets game, go to any Met game, go to any Yankee game. Yankees were winning World Series. Color went out the window when everybody's yelling, how great it. Hug at everything. When I've been to Nick games, and I'm not a Nick fan, but I made a lot of money. 86 was a great year for me to make some money <laughs> against the Knicks. But when you're in the garden and a big basket is hit and that 20,000 roars, you literally feel it. Where's color then? Is that real, though? Is it Because I think... What you're saying, and to the example you gave from the book, if you think of it almost mathematically, mm -hmm. it's a shitty thing to think about, but it, we yeah. got to think about it, right? Yeah. Does the math check out to care enough about the other people, the other outside your tribe, outside your people, outside yourself? Does the math check out? Like you said, if you're risking more to help somebody else than you're gaining, that's that's hard. It's hard to make that's the work. Hard. And in that Nick game at the Yankees game, yeah. it's it's not real life, right? You're just once it comes well, back to real life, where it feels like it's a competition somehow. You know? I'm going to ask you a question. It is real. It's just not the norm. Because okay. it is real because we experienced it. Okay. If you're sitting next to me and we're down on those seats on the floor and, and, and when Larry Johnson hit that three-point play with the foul, 
Yeah. They're turning and high-fiving me, maybe hugging me, and we may buy each other a beer and everything is good. So in a microcosm, if we can do it for that, then there's gotta be a way that we can do it outside of the stadium. But it goes to what you were saying and what I talk about is it's the risking. But here's what we have to look at. We have, this is where now our heroes in every culture has heroes who stood against what was the norm, mm. even if it cost them their lives. Being a martyr, I'm not telling anybody to go out and give their life yeah, away, yeah. but it is when you are willing to stand for something that you believe in, even if you don't get to see the fruits that you planted. If we lose that, then we lose it all. Can I ask you a question, Keith? What, sure. I think I'll know your answer, but but I want to dig into it. Sure. Why? Why? I mean, there's an obvious why is that people should do that, but why should somebody be willing to place that bet? Like, what's th- th- should there be some? Is there some payout still? Because back to the math, is it legacy? Is it yes. getting into heaven? Is it what? What is it? What makes that real, real simple? All of that. But I'll make it even simpler. Yeah. Would you take a bullet for your child? Yes. Why? You're going to lose your life. Good question. Let me first think if I said yes, but did I say yes because I meant it? But no, no, but your first reaction is your true reaction. Now you'll think about it, Maybe. but your first reaction is because that life yeah, was precious. You know why? Because at eight, he has years to do whatever. I'll give that up now. Is is it is it that or is it that I have a responsibility because he's mine? Both, 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 because in protecting him, he's still yours, but now you've given him an opportunity to grow. So hopefully he gets something from the sacrifice that you gave. He runs with that and maybe becomes more than could have been if you let it go the other way. We have to hold on to that because what is the reason why we teach them to be quality citizens, quality adults? Because we could just say, do whatever the F you want. The mm-hmm. world is ours. No, we teach them to be respectful because we literally try to raise our kids often in ways that we wish somebody had maybe stepped in with us, or if we had it the whole time, then we want to part that legacy over to our children. You come from a long line of whatever. And when we do that, we're changing destiny by, well, we're changing our future. Hopefully the destiny changes, but we're offering the future a different outcome. See, we can't give in to the negative now because at that point, and as as the, the faith part of me, I know that evil doesn't win in the end. I believe that but I have to be able to hold my ground now to be able to allow the changes that are going to come. I may not see those, but I have to believe that what I put out in the world has a power. I'm not here with you. If I don't do the things I'm supposed to do somewhere else to even have a story to tell. So I have a theory that it's not a theory. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's almost stupid to say, but I'm, I'm curious how, how you think about it in terms of what you're saying, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't believe in certainty in almost anything because I just, that's just the way I think, right? I'm I question everything, trying to look at it logically. Mm-hmm. As I thought deeply about this, because I like to think about philosophical stuff, I come to the conclusion that the only thing that's, that I could say with certainty or that's the closest to certainty or is real for me, the only thing is feeling good. And, and why I say that is everything else we think, everything else we believe, there's so much going on in our minds. There's so many influences. There's so many things that, that drive that. It's not to say that feeling good is the only thing, but it's the only thing I could say with any like true feeling of like, I, I, there's realness in that. I could almost feel that's tangible. Anything else, I don't know. It's, I'm guessing almost to an extent. So there's, okay. the, you follow that thread, it says we all just want to feel good. And, and, if, and if we are trying to make the world a better place, we are taking a bullet for our son, it ultimately comes back to us. It's because it makes us feel good in some way. Does yes. that work? 
Is that true? Firstly, is it true? Second, does it work with the scenario you're laying out? I'm going to tell you that feeling good is subjective because feeling good for you doesn't necessarily mean it means true. the same for me. True. Feeling so good is always subjective. And we have to be careful with good because a lot of people hide behind what's good for them and they don't care who they trample with it. Can, can so, I say one thing, Loki, just to clarify? Sure. When I say good in that sense, I mean it more in like play, like a, a goodness oh, feeling, right? Like, oh, I, so, got, I got what you yeah, said. Okay. I'm just pointing okay. out. I'm just pointing out that it's subjective because people will use what the opposite of what you said. The only consistent thing that's in life is life and death. Every that's the only consistency. You are born to die. Mm -hmm. The question becomes when. And because none of us know our expiration date, then it's what we choose to do at the time that becomes important. Yeah, okay. But what we were born to do is deal with the fact that at some point we're all going to leave and go somewhere. Now, if I'm a Christian, I believe we're going to heaven, fine. If you're atheist and believe that is it, whatever. But the only true thing that connects all of us is the fact that we are born and that we are dying. Now, what we choose to do in between those two poles is on us. So the feel good part has to be, and I would always push back with this to you is what does feel good look like for you? And does in feeling good, does it hurt someone else? Right. Because then if it does, I can't rock with your feel good. But if you say, I feel good when I do this and that helps somebody else, well, then I can rock with it because everybody's going to do what works for them. For me, I believe that what you do should elevate others because then you will gain in a lot of different areas from that. Now, some people will say, I don't have to worry about anybody but myself. And they're true, if that's what they believe. I don't have a problem with that. But once you push whatever you're feeling or whatever you're doing or whatever you're thinking out into the world and that starts to harm other people, we got to have a conversation. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to come to a stop because you'll have some folks who are into some very nasty things say, but it feel good. Right, right. And I'm not hurting nobody. So why can't I do it? And that's why we have to be careful with what feels good because you got a lot of weirdos who will use Anything that you and I put on the yeah, table, yeah. <laughs> why can't I jump my dog if I'm if I think it's sexy? <laughs> well, I think you're right. About? I think you're right. I think you're right in that. I think there's like um there's levels to it, right? Yes, there's like a maturity. So it's always rooted in we want to feel good, but we we can get whatever you want to call it enlightened, whatever it is, to start to realize that that there's things helping others. Maybe a lot of people would say that brings you a feeling of goodness that's so much better than you know messing with your mm -hmm. dog or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's right. And I think that gets back to your transparency point um, of knowing yourself and having transparency yeah. with yourself of what actually feels good. Mm -hmm. But if it's, I guess, back to your point about if it's hurting somebody else, why, why do we think so many people end there, right? We, we, like we talked about racism, you talk about slavery, like we talked yeah. about. There's, there's benefit people got from that, right? People made a lot of money of off of racism. And still and making it. And still are, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. Why can't they get to that next step to realize that there's a better feeling of good if I don't treat people this way? Great question. I'll give you an example. And I'll go back to the kids. When your son has a lot of toys, right? When his cousins and other folks come over, why does he grab every toy mm. and doesn't want to give them up? Mm. Now he could have 10 toys. Now here's the crazy part. He cannot play with all of the toys that he is holding. But he is not giving them up. So mm. even when you take one and point out to him, you have nine others. I'm just letting your cousin play with this one. What happens? Damn the nine. I want that one back. 
-hmm. Now you go around him and try to pick up the nut. Nope, I want those too. Why? Because in his mind, they're mine. I don't want to see somebody else enjoying what's mine. Well, we as adults, you and I, are older children. And in that, we act the same way, except we can create a better mirage of why we do it. Mm -hmm. But it's the same thing. So the real sacrifice is when you're willing to give because you want to simply see somebody else enjoy themselves. Case in point, homeless person says, could you give me some money for something to eat? You have $10. A dollar is only one-tenth of what you have. You would still have $9, but yet most of us begrudgingly will not give up that dollar. And the argument will be, it's mine. I work for it. I could do whatever I want. Even though it's only a tenth, the person is not gaining more than you. They're gaining that $1. And many of us will fight and literally break the person down to see if they are worthy Mm. of one-tenth of what I have simply because it's mine. Whereas if I just gave it and didn't worry about it, hey, enjoy. I'm still, or if if I went to some people, and I'm going through this, if I say, give me $4, I got I want to give a quarter to 16 people. Now I'm giving 16 people a quarter. You will still have $6. Do you know how many people will fight you over the fact that they don't want to give up the $4 and help 16 people? Because in their mind, I'm losing $4. Not gaining that I'm helping 16 people, that I am losing. And that is the my toy thing. And unfortunately, Terry, what happens is we can't shake enough people loose to know that your six is still good. But those 16 people are now a little bit better off than they were the day before. So we literally flip it on end. And this is what goes back to what I was saying about the social media stuff or being in in like-minded communities. We will find people who will breathe life into, you shouldn't have to give your quarter. Keep that. And if that feeds you enough, well, then after a while, I'm never giving anything. So we're right back to square one. But somebody has to at least be out there to say, nah, that's not the move. That's where the transparency comes in. Also, who I am with what I've done. Okay, I got two master's degrees. So when I show up with the alphabet behind my name, and it goes to sports, you always say if the best player is working harder than anybody else on the team, the 12th man on the bench can't, can't goof off and think that it's okay. That was always the reason why Jordan was able to treat anybody any way that he wanted to, because he went out and worked harder than everybody else. Same thing with Kobe Bryant, and you see it with all the top athletes. So what happens is if I show up and I have more than the person who has the $10, and I'm trying to give, now the person with 10 is kind of, what's your excuse? Mm. There's a transparency again. And I'm not doing it to make you feel bad. The reason why you feel bad is because you know it's wrong. But let's have a conversation because I'm not going to take from you. And all I'm asking, all I'm waiting for is when they ask me the question, why do you now I got you? Mm. Because now you've you've come out of your bubble to want to know from me. Now the transparency kicks in because I'm going to keep it very real with you. You may not like what I'm about to say, mm. but I'm not worried about how you feel about it. Again, taking feelings off the table because sometimes people just need the information, not the emotion. Does that mean that if you follow that thread, Mm-hmm. Is it right that, how do I want to say, it? I'll just say it the simplest way. Some people are better than other people and we should have, we should, how do I want, I guess, again, let me just say, everybody's voice shouldn't be equal, right? There should be people who get to tell people, 
how to act because they see it better. Now that's a tricky thing, right? Because as soon as you feel like you're qualified to tell somebody how to act, you probably aren't anymore, which is tricky, <laughs> right? But is it, is, is it, should we believe that there's some people that are just better at life than other people and they should be the ones making the decisions ultimately? Mm, that is a great question. And one that, yeah, you don't answer that one right away. You got to take <laughs> that one. I'm a, see, I think the right, the part of saying some people are, are, are right or are better. Yes, there are some people better suited. I'm going to change the language that way. Better suited for certain things. But I think they have to prove themselves. And I'll go back to, see, and this is where I'm, I don't want to get any, I don't want to offend anybody. But in European culture, the king made the decision. Mm-hmm. The king had followers and you had serfs. Those were the poor folks that had to do whatever the king says. But in African culture, you couldn't be king unless you took care of the tribe. Hmm. Elders were elevated to a position where they didn't have to work any longer because the king made sure that because of age, they had to be respected. You see the same thing in Asian culture when it comes to elders. So to be king, you had to earn the right to remain king. And if at any time the younger person under you could push you as the king because he could do it better, then you then became an elder, that person then became the king. I think, and you see this in Asian cultures and some European cultures also. And I think we've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from, if you are the person holding the standard, like you mentioned, who are just better at, to own that position is because you have taken everything into account. Sung Ju says in the Art of War, a good general doesn't risk his troops' lives just because. Mm -hmm. It's unfair of his position and it's unfair of his troops. So a good general has already played out so much in his head that before he gives the order, he has an idea of what this is going to be because he cares about his troops, because they trust him to be that as the general. Mm. I think many of us have gotten away from the person earning the position to be able to make the decisions for everybody. Now, my Korean brothers and sisters, I love the way they go about it. Five families will say, who's the smartest of us? Terry is. Okay, the five families will give Terry enough money to come to the States. Terry will establish a store. Then they'll bring over one member from the next family. The two will work that store until it's profitable. And then slowly but surely, they will bring each family over. And as two families are here, both families work their stores to bring the third, three families, and so on until all five families are here. All five families have established businesses. But it started with all five families accepting that Terry is the most intelligent Let's fund Terry and get Terry over here. Now, if Terry get over here and likes the States and go, hell with my family, I'm good to go. But well, then he screwed his family. But if done correctly, and that's what we have to look at when done right, Terry now is the is the is the mallet, is is the is the mantle keeper, is the is the is the right person for the right situation. And he is going to make the way for everybody else to come. Now, in that scenario, Terry has earned that. So everybody around has no problem pouring into Terry to be that. We have gotten away from people earning that position to be able to lead other people. We're putting people in leadership roles that are only thinking about themselves and and don't care if you know about it. Mm. We've allowed civic leaders, politicians, even community leaders, we've allowed greed to replace honor. Now you talked about philosophical situations. I learned in college when we were studying Plato, it said, if you lend a man, if a man lends you his sword 
and he says, I need my sword back because I'm about to go kill somebody. Should you give that man back his sword knowing that he's going to go out and commit a murder? That was a debate and it was heated because many of us were like, no, you're, you're, but when we got to the end of it, it said, but if you're honorable, you have to give that man back his property mm. and then do the best you can to persuade him not to do what he's going to do. But in the end, that person has the right to do what they want with their property. We have gotten away from honor mm. and somehow all cultures have lost the ability to display honor on a regular basis. I can pick out every culture and see honorable people, but if I'm flooded with the foolishness that I'm seeing, we don't see it. And our kids definitely don't see it. That's why sports is so needed by us, but we've made athletes something that they were never supposed to be. That honor that we give to athletes was supposed to be on our parents first. Mm -hmm. Somehow we've lost that in everything. And that's social media because what do our kids have more access to? Social media. Social media is rivaling parents. Mm -hmm. We call the TV the idiot box. If you're over 40, you remember <laughs> the TV being called the idiot box where you were told if all you did was sit and watch television, you became stupid. So how did that change with social media? It hasn't. It's gotten worse. Get on TikTok for a couple of hours and watch yep. what you're seeing over there. And it'll literally scare you. Yeah, and it's it's when when you talk about the idea that there there are certain people that are better suited, mm -hmm. I believe that's true. Mm -hmm. What I worry about is the implication of that because the world is not clean and obvious; it's messy, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as we accept and embrace the idea that some people are better suited or some people should do this or make the decisions, it now opens the door to this belief that that that's true. And then it allows people to manipulate that. It allows people to yeah, step yeah. in who might even genuinely believe that they are that smartest person who should mm -hmm. go open the store, but they, they're lying to themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So I wonder that, like, I agree with you. I think that honor, I, you, you almost read my mind because I was going to ask the question <laughs> about that. Like, what, what if, what, I guess the honor comes back to, right? That, that belief mm -hmm. in doing the right thing, even mm -hmm. if there's some concern that there's something wrong with it. Mm -hmm if people aren't going to act honorable because we said, right, there's a lot for social media, there's a ton of reasons why we've gotten away from it, but we still believe that certain people are better suited. How, how do we solve that problem? Like, how do we get the honor back? How do we get people that should be making the decisions, making the decisions again? Oh man. That's, and that goes back to your question of is the world going to change to the positive? Yeah. I don't think so, but I think what we have to do and like in any negative situation, you carve out pockets. You carve out pockets of, of, of for safety, pockets for acceptance, pockets for elevation. You carve out the pockets. Um, no matter what era we look at, no matter what time we look at, whether we look at slavery, whether we look at the Holocaust, whether we look at what anything, there were people who carved out pockets mm. that amongst what was going on, they were able to hold it together to bridge it to somebody else until the, the negative ended or changed into something else. And no matter what the decade is, no matter who the person is, I don't care what your background is, in every history of every human being on this planet, you will see that there are people who just, within whatever was negative, was able to secure a small enough situation to be able to at least move this on to the next. So this way it wasn't forgotten. Now, no matter how bad things get, there's going to be somebody who'll say, I'm not that. I won't be that. Mm. 
We have to just, as, as, as brothers and sisters, find that person and connect with them. That goes back to the transparency. Yes. I'm transparent. Yes. And you see it. You feel more comfortable reaching out to me, even if it's quietly. Even if it's, hey, Keith, listen, I'm out here in Smithtown, Long Island, but how would I talk to some of my guys here? Mm -hmm. Fine. I can feed you. You now go back. They don't have to know you got it from me. Hey, Terry, man, you know, you sound a little pro, you know, what's going on? You know, you, you, you sound like you're hanging out with these black guys a little too much. <laughs> now you have an opportunity to go, but wait, wait, why are we talking like that? guy? Mm. And now if I give you examples, they may not hear me, but they hear you. And eventually you now can have me show up where even though they may be uneasy, but if one or two go, hey, he's a good dude, let's go. Mm. I see it when I'm bowling. Mm. I was I, I grew up in New York, bold in New York. Now I'm down here in Delaware. I think only been down here in New York, Delaware last six years. Sports is the key, though. Sports mm -hmm. shows you that it works. Because if we can lay down our grievances to do a sport, we also see it in armed services. As any person who served, did you care what color they were when you were in a forward area? Hell no, I wanted to get home. So if we can do it in in, in many ways, we can do it in greater ways. You have to be able to do it with the small things, be able to do it with the big things. But mm -hmm. some of us have to hold our ground and refuse to give in to the negative that we see around us. I was that way in the classroom. I'm that way now. And it's tough because you're going to catch flack. You're going to be called things. You're going to be treated in a certain way. So the biggest thing is, one, learn how to fight. Mm -hmm. Two, become intelligent so you don't have to actually use your hands. And three, never stop looking for others who think like you. Bring them into the fold. Never, like I, anybody asked me for an interview, sure. As long as you're not putting out some trash that I think is, is detrimental to the minds. Yeah, because you and I now have been exposed to each other. So people who know you and people may see this may go, wow, I, he's very intelligent, which is not a compliment, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay because as we learn each other, we're going to realize that we're similar. When I worked with gang members right there in Canarsie, Brooklyn, I used to bring, I, I run after school, I used to run after school program in there. I actually run one here in um, Delaware. When I was there in Canarsie, I'd have all the gang members, sometimes as many as 18, almost 20 gang members in, a, in a my after school program. I remember when I had an um, officer friend of mine come in, white guy. Yo, B, what's this? You bringing a, yo, you bringing a cop to y'all. I knew be a sellout. Calm mm. down. Mm. Now, you trust who I am? Yo, B, ah, didn't answer my question. Okay, what you think I brought him here for? Now I close the door and say, I want to ask y'all a question. When y'all on the block, see, I told you, be trying to set us up. Ah, shut up. When y'all are out on the block, what's the main thing that you want to do? One kid will figure it out. Go home. I want to do what I do and go home. Okay. Jay, when you're out here in the uniform, what's the main thing you want to do when you're working? Go home. Why? I got a family, B, you know that. So you see that there's no difference. The only thing different is his uniform, your flags. But y'all want to say is it, is it true though, Keith? Is it are they being and I asked this like I think it oh, is true. On. I hope it's true, but are they saying that because in that setting, just like in sports, it's easier to say what we maybe wish was true. But when shit gets hard, when when there's a little bit of a pressure or crunch or fear uh -huh. or whatever it is, uh -huh. insecurity, then the truth really comes out. Of course. And most are gonna fold. But here's the thing: the one or two. One or two. One or two. Remember, what was the, the credo of most teachers? If I can reach one, why? Because it was understood that you may not get to 30. It only takes one person to change the whole world. Mm. It only takes one person. And the more that that one person 
has affiliations with others, well, then they change the world. By starting the conversation, I planted a seed. Mm. Now, it'll take the block itself to help those seeds pop open. A couple of bullets whiz by your head and you start to realize, I don't really want to be out here. Well, I've gave you an option because now I've had right there in Canarsie. Kids come to me and go, yeah, I don't want to be out here no more. Okay, let's talk about it. But how do they know to come to me? Because I made myself available. Mm. See, the key is you can't, one man can't change the world in terms of, unless if he's quiet, one man can change or one woman, I don't want to lose out anybody. One person can change the world if they let the world know they're here. So we get nothing if we stay quiet. We may get everything if we open our mouths. Mm. That's what you have to do. Are you willing to push back against the evil that you see out here? Now, some people have lost their lives. I always take the 60s because people forget what we saw in the 60s. John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Mega Evers, all within a five-year period. And I believe they were all connected, but we're not gonna get into the conspiracy theory. Mm. But five, two influential white guys, three influ influ influential black guys, who all kind of wanted the same thing, change. They're all snuffed out. And then at the beginning of the 70s, the Black Panthers snuffed out, made into a political organization when in actuality, they weren't. So we have to pay attention that there are people who will fight against change because most people who have power don't want to give it up. But we have to still speak on it, even if it means risking our lives, because that's where the whole martyrdom comes in. If you kill me, now I might become stronger than I ever could in life because now people go, why? That's enough. That may be enough to trigger other people to step up and say no. Now, does that mean I may not be here? Yes. Mm -hmm. But there is no change without sacrifice or struggle. And, and there's, there's, throughout this conversation, there's a deep thread of, of responsibility, right? Of course, and and, and of these leaders that we're talking about, the people with honor, it's a responsibility to do the right thing. And I come back to, and I think that's that's right. I come back to it though. How many people do you think? Let's let's take the assassinations you just spoke about. Any of that stuff. Somebody, and maybe let's let's assume. Let's not assume. But let's just say it was connected in some way or whatever. We could pick anything. Gotcha, gotcha. There are some leaders that are saying, yeah, that's what we need to do to make this world better. That's yes. what they believe. We got to get yes. rid of JFK. Let's get all, yeah. We got to get rid of Martin Luther King. We got to get rid of Malcolm mm -hmm. X. Of course. And they they would listen to the words you're saying right now and say, yeah, yeah, Keith, that's right. I'm doing it. I'm the one that's stepping in and making that change. I'm bringing. And go it. do the opposite. Well, but well, maybe they, <laughs> but they think they're doing it right. Like yeah. so, that's what scares me. How do people decipher? How do you know that you're doing it and directing it towards the right thing? Or do you see it differently? Do you think those people were just evil? People that do that stuff are just evil people. Oh, there's evil people in the world. We can't yeah. ever get that twisted. There's some people that, that cannot be redeemed. Let's, and, let's and, be real. Do you believe that in the sense that they know they are harming people and they know they're making the world the worst place and they're okay with it? Because I, yes. I wonder sometimes, do they yes. actually convince themselves that they're doing the right thing? Yes, they know. They know John Wayne Gacy, damn party clown. Yeah. As the police were taking him in, those are just the bodies you found. You won't find the rest smiling. Yeah. So we go, that's sick. But he was an intellectual clown who did parties for children while at the same time killing people. But is it possible, and we're going extreme here, but that, sure. that felt good for him, back to the feeling yes, good. It did. And it his did. belief of life was none of it really matters, right? Is there I a story he well. told himself? Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, that where it wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't making the world the worst place. Somehow he believed he was just doing what he should be doing. 
No, he only cared about himself. He knew because once arrested, okay, you got me. See, that you cannot, you cannot have good in the world and not have evil. Just like you cannot have God and not have the evil that, or the devil, whatever name you want to give it. It's the yin and yang thing. My Asian brothers and sisters had it correct. They are connected. You cannot have this, this epitome of the good things that you want and not be prepared to deal with the evil that's on the other side of it. So the, the way some people will be elevated to saints, there's going to be some other people lowered down to being demons. Mm. The key is we cannot allow them to influence others to think that that is okay. That struggle, it's, it's, it's what I do in the classroom, right? The top 10%, you don't worry about. Those kids are going to do the right thing no matter what. Bottom 10%, they're going to do what's bad no matter what. It is the 80% in between that I got to work hard to make sure I keep focused. Because if they start to look toward the bottom 10%, then anarchy seems like the best thing in this classroom. But if I can keep them looking up at the 10%, keep them engaged with me and, and have them feel or, or get some of the things that the top 10% are getting, then the goal is to be better. Mm. Most kids that join gangs join gangs. Why? Because they want the camaraderie that comes with being part of, and it, it, the studies show that kids join gangs because of the camaraderie or the fake love that they believe they're getting if we can corner that off before they get there give real love show them the difference all of a sudden our kids may not want the violence that comes with that fake love but if we don't reach them well then at some point they're going to have to go through that to make their way back to me mm. some make it some don't but we have to be able to keep fighting to get them before they get there it's what so we you have see, to do you see life it's a battle, really. Oh, yeah. It's a good versus evil battle where if you're on the good side, you, you, you have a responsibility to fight that battle, right? Of course. Yeah. Yes. And, I, and the reason why is because a seventh grade teacher once told me I was the worst thing my mother ever had. Hmm. Right there on Guy Brewer, South Jamaica, Queens. 12, uh, 20, I think I was 29, 28, 29. So we're looking about 14, 15 years later. My mother still lives in South Jamaica. I remember I was coming out to my mother's house and I remember driving by and I saw that same teacher going into the building. He was older. And I said, okay, I know what I'm gonna do. The next day, and I don't even like wearing suits. I put a suit on and got my briefcase and I came to the, the door right as school was in. I said, hey, is Mr. I'm not gonna say his name. Is he still here? He said, yeah, yeah, he's upstairs. I said, may I go upstairs? And of course you wear a suit, they let you do whatever. <laughs> I go upstairs, he's in his room. I knock on the door He's and his his, his desk was a back away from the door. He said, I said, good evening, sir. He said, good evening. He said, I said, do you remember me? And he said, no, nah, do I teach your child? I said, I hope not. <laughs> and he was like, excuse me? I said, I hope not. He said, you were, you were a horrible teacher when I was younger. And now he's panicking. This very large man is standing at the door. You're in the back of the classroom. You have no way out. And I put my briefcase down and I just stood there. Now he's not sure what to do. He said, excuse me, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, you once told me I was the worst thing my mother ever had. And when I flipped open my briefcase, I could see him lean back. He just knew it was over for him. Mm. I reached out and I had my teaching credential. And I said, you see this right here? I'm a certified teacher like yourself. You know what this means? That you're a damn liar. But you told a young kid in a classroom just like this, that he was the worst thing his mother ever had. You know what else could have been in this briefcase? You need to watch what you say to children. They don't stay children forever. Now, did that change him? No, I don't know. That wasn't the full purpose of it. 
But what it was, was to let him know there's an action that you created that could have caused a reaction that you didn't want. Mm. But for me, the reason we're doing it, it was motivation to not be him mm. because now I'm in the game. So I could have allowed what he said to sink into the point that I became what he envisioned of me. And when I look back on it, I was a very difficult kid in the seventh grade. He didn't have the skills to reach me. But in eighth grade, another math teacher, he was a math teacher, another math teacher saw my greatness and said, I know what you need. And by ninth grade, I had one of the highest math averages in District 27. So a lot of it is how we present what we are, what we're trying to get out of what we're doing, but we have to be okay. And this is what I did as an educator. And I still do as a mentor now and as a counselor. I have to be the thing that Gandhi says, be the light you want to see in the world. That's what I do. What I'm sharing with you is how I am in the classroom, how I am every day. So that is why people turn to me when they have problems. I read a book by Pastor Max Lucado. He says, if you want to understand what your God-given gift is, live your life backwards, meaning go back to your life and think of the things that you did without even thinking, without even asking, you just did. And other people said, Terry, how are you able to do whatever that is? You will then figure out what it is that God wanted you to be. Hmm. I've always been good at running my mouth. But when I was younger, I just ran it to run it. Often told to shut up. Often told you talk too much. Now I'm paid to talk. I'm paid to show up. I did a presentation yesterday where I'm speaking to people from Wales, London, and, and the US dealing with a pandemic within a pandemic right here from inside my office. So I am paid to sit in my office to run this mouth when at one point people told me to shut up. So one of the things that we have to teach kids, and this again, it goes back to transparency. When you are transparent about the ills or the mistakes, and then you can show the benefits of figuring it out, you become more of a beacon to those that are lost. You become more of a beacon. You can do it with your son, I do it with my daughter. When we are transparent about the things that we have screwed up, the best questions in the world come from children. Because they don't have no filter. Daddy, how come you got that shirt on again? You wore that shirt three days this week. Or daddy, you stink. Mm. Now, you could pull a parent card, shut up and go to your room. <laughs> or you can go, you're right. I haven't taken a shower in two days. I just had, but daddy, you tell me to shower every night. Ah, a child will point out the hypocrisy every time. But dad, how come you tell me I got a shower every night and you're walking around here stinking? Yeah. Again, you can pull a parent card, shut up, go to bed. Or you can go, thank you, son. You have shown that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Thank you for calling me on that. I'm going to go take a shower tonight. Yeah. Now what you've taught your son is it's okay to question, but it's also okay to bring to the table what you see. And you didn't mute him by saying, shut up, I'm the parent. You accepted the fact that he stepped on your toes with his little feet, but it also made you better because now you're going to think twice as what you do because you know he's looking. Mm. That is what we're supposed to bring to the table to the others around us. So I like it. Like I said, I like it all. I like, I like the idea that I, I don't, I, I don't probably genuinely, generally think of it this way, that it's, that mm -hmm. it's a battle, right? That there's, yeah. there's good versus evil, right? Versus mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying makes sense. And maybe mm -hmm. I'll ask this as we're coming towards the end. So I keep harping on a similar point. Is, is there fear in that, that how do you know that you're on the right side? Right. Cause a lot of people, I, I think, 
if, if we accept that the world is a battle, if we accept that there's certain people that are just bad mm-hmm. people, um, there's this belief of like a moral righteousness. And when people are empowered by that, they could do a lot of bad things. And that's yeah. why I tend to view it more where there's not good and evil. Everybody's got their own stuff going on. It's more about transparency and clarity. If people could gotcha. just see things more clearly. We all want what's best for everybody, aside from maybe mental illness. <laughs> gotcha. So that's what worries me about this view of life is that it may very well be true. And if it is true, we do need to be out there fighting the good fight. But if it's not, then we're out there, we're actually doing more harm because we're making the world worse trying to think of it as good and evil when it's not, right? Hmm. Great point. I think what you have to look at, Terry, is the outcomes. Okay. I think what you have to look at is the human experience. We're all tied. So you and I could fly to Japan right now. We'll know what evil looks like. You and I could then get on a plane and go to England. And we'd see what he, because you would see the way people are treating other people and know that's not necessary. That's choice. And that's what we, that's what we look at. Like the good and evil that I talk about is the way you choose to behave. Because often what people use as an excuse of why they do it is Mm self-fulfilling. You can clearly see when somebody is doing something that is not about them, but more other person it is the service now that is where for me i do fight with church folks sometimes because i am not the quintessential christian (laughs) i actually rub christians the wrong way with my modern philosophy but it's okay i I have degrees for that (laughs) because i think what has to happen is if we and i'm gonna get religious on you for a hot 30 seconds if we look at jesus's walk his job was to be the disruptor but he came to disrupt church folks he didn't disrupt common folks. He just pointed out simple things to common folks. He went after the church folks because he understood the power and the position that they had. So I always talk about church folks is who killed Jesus. It wasn't the Romans did the deed, but it was church folks because he even said to him, if you really understood who I was, you're supposed to love me because you've been selling everybody that my day is coming. I'm here. But yet you don't want to let go of the power that you amass. So what do you do? You snuff out what's clearly something different. But if you go to one verse, and I tell folks, oh, John 3, a guy sneaks over at night and says, me and some of the other guys know you to be who you are. Oh, you do. That conversation is what happens in real life. Most people in the dark, hey, Terry, man, you're doing a real good job, man. I like what you're doing. Light comes on. Oh, Terry's full of <laughs> Terry in the- that's the reason why we're never going to know what's in a person's heart. God says, don't worry about it. What we have to do, Terry, is look at the outcomes. Mm-hmm. You'll know if somebody's treating your son bad. I don't know if somebody's treating my daughter bad. Mm-hmm. We deal with that. The reasoning why is not necessary until we, like Malcolm X said, somebody six dogs on you, take care of them dogs first. Then we can talk about anything else we need to talk about. We need to talk about the major problem. So my thing is, there's truth to what you're saying, but the key is we can see righteousness. You can see it. You can see when somebody says, I got half a sandwich. I could finish it, but this person has no sandwich. You can see that. Mm. Take the sandwich. Mm. It's different when somebody says, hey, bring the cameras over here. Look, I'm giving him a sandwich. I'll just give him a quarter of the sandwich. Yes, he still got the sandwich, but we see what he's doing it for. Yeah. So if you really want to look at the, the, the face Muslim faith, Christian faith, the Buddhist faith. It's about the service. It was never about the individual. That's the key. 
So yeah, it, it has nothing to do with if you're a religious person or not. You don't, inside, you know if something's right. You know if you're doing it for you or you're doing it for the person. Other people can see that. Mm. And to keep it very simple, go to a bar. You can know the chick who digs you compared to the chick who's trying to just go home with you <laughs> that evening. And automatically, you have to make a decision. I know she nasty, but she look good, don't she? <laughs> so we make decisions because we can see that. Yeah. Whereas the chick who likes us, her unsteadiness around us is as unsteady as we are. So that goofiness that we feel is actually the thing that lets us know this is pretty cool. Yeah. But compared to the nasty chick. So some things are very simple. We just make it more difficult, bro. Well, I like the outcome thing too, because I think that's that's interesting to think about for today. Because yeah. I think if you said to a lot of people, right, who are on either side of whatever issue we're talking mm -hmm. about, the extremes, mm -hmm. they might believe they're right. They might believe they're mm -hmm. fighting a good fight, they're doing the right thing. But if you say to them, look at the outcome, look where we are. So we can't, something's wrong, right? Like, right? Something's clearly wrong. Yeah. And if everybody thinks that way, because the first reaction, I think most people give, yeah, totally. It's the other side. They're screwing everything course, up. That's it. But I think you have to look deeper than that. Like you're saying to say, no, 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 no. Like there's a bad outcome here. We all have to take responsibility for that. We all got to think about exactly. how we could be better. Exactly. So I get that. I get that. I it like changes that. the game too. I'm going to tell you what it does. It changes the game because it changes the conversation. Mm. And when the conversation, and that's what's not being had. See, if you and I sit down and you go, I got $200 million and I go, I got 10. If I say, well, how come you don't help anybody with your 200 million? And you say, because I don't want to. Well, there's a the transparency. You've said it. But I'm probably not going to say that. I'm probably no, 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 I'm, I'm yeah. just saying no, no, general. not even me, like the hypothetical yeah. me. I'm but probably going to tell you, that, I, I know I do help people somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll, they'll say it. But here's again, that's where the outcomes come in. Because, see, you can't. That's where transparency is so fantastic. If I show that you're worth 100 billion. And I can show you that with 200 million, you change the lives of many folks. You can't stand at a podium and say, I'm trying to change the lives of many folks. Really? Are you? Mm. Because I can show you a way that you can do it tonight. And the minute they go, the minute they start to give you excuses, that's how you catch them. See, because anybody can lie. And most people do. Outcomes aren't lies. Mm. Outcomes are pure truths. 600 pound life is one of the best shows to watch for that mm. reason. Mm. They go into the doctor, Dr. No, I think his name is, Dr. Now. I want the surgery. Okay, okay. drop 50 pounds, come back, we'll, we'll give you the surgery. They come back, they gained eight. We, as the viewer, get to see that they ate everything and the, and the toilet seat. <laughs> they walk right in, knowing they're going to get on a scale. The first thing you do when you walk <laughs> into that office, oh, 608. And doctor now comes in and they go, I don't know what happened. I have been doing everything that you said. And he, and he never changes his expression. So the scale is lying. What he's saying is the outcome proves that no matter what you're saying, yeah. because, and then he'll, he, in his own subtle way, he'll go, if you were doing what we told you to do, that outcome wouldn't happen. Now, if you drop 20 and we wanted to lose 25, that's a different conversation because the outcome dictates the conversation. Mm -hmm. You said tonight, I don't have a thing we're gonna talk. And so Mike answers the outcomes dictate where you go, which keeps the conversation going. Well, the reason why we didn't able to talk as long as we have mm -hmm. is because my answers trigger different things in you. So my outcome triggers different thoughts, which then triggers the conversation to keep going. So it's outcomes is always the key, yeah. has always been.
Yeah. Listen, Keith, I, I, I get the sense you and I could talk for a real long time because because yeah. I think this is this is why I do the show because I think this is how we learn. I, I love Appreciate to hear it. other people's views and opinions, and then we bounce it off. And what about yeah. this? And what about that? And it's not yeah. to say that we're we're smarter than anybody else. Or we're going to get to the right answer necessarily. We're just trying to get closer. Of course, we're just trying to get close to it. And, and what I take away from this is I think transparency. Uh, that's that makes perfect sense through this conversation. I think this idea of leaders needing to step up. Um, and using the outcomes as your guide, using that yeah. as your instrument to tell you if you're on yeah. the right path or not, because it's exactly what you're saying. If you don't, if you say you want to help people, if you say you care about people, but you're out here in the streets shouting and hating people, well, something, right? Somebody's lying. There you go. But I like it. I like the approach, Keith. I like what you're doing. And I appreciate you taking the time tonight and, and talking through it with me, answering my questions and thinking about this stuff. Oh, thank you, Terry. No, I appreciate you um, for taking the time out and allowing me to come into your space. And I definitely want to say I appreciate it. Um, I try to help any and I reach out because I just enjoy it. And I think that's where the true learning comes from, because hopefully somebody tonight who knows you or knows your platform now gets to experience me for the first time. And my hope is that I've given them something to think about. Yeah. If I've given them something to think about, then I've done my job. I've planted a seed because now they may hear you differently as you talk about what you talk about. And so you may be the person watering the seed that we planted tonight. Yep. So it's not about me. It's about you allowing me into your space. And then the two of us being able to have a conversation that is easy for somebody to palate, easy for somebody to listen to. And I think that's why communication and conversations are necessary. When people talk and people listen, they learn. Hmm. And if they would just allow themselves to slow down and go, well, he makes some great points. You don't have to agree with me. But if you hear me, you actually a couple of times said, okay, I get it. That might not be my thought, but here's mine. Mm -hmm. Now let's go back and forth. So if we come away with an understanding of each other, or I now have to clarify something that I said, well, we're learning and respect because respect comes from a learned understanding of who the other person is. But it has to start with me least respecting where I come from, but not to the point that I want to force it on you. Right. That's the key to this. But I appreciate you. And, and well, I look forward to just send me the information when you go to post it or put it out. And I'll gladly put it out to my circles as well so they can learn who you are as well. Because yeah, I got I other communities that. I would definitely love to. I'll give them your information, tell them to reach out to you. Hey, I appreciate that. I really, really do. And yeah, like I said, uh, I, I'd love to stay in touch. Maybe we'll do this again at some point. Because I think, like oh, you said, I'm we're here. all better for this. We're all better for this. And hopefully it touches somebody else. I hope so too. So thanks. Love Keith. it. I'm here. Just reach out gladly and I will make time on my schedule. I stay busy, but I'll always make time. Um, especially I think that's another thing too, is folks get to certain levels and they forget yeah. that you're always supposed to go back and help those uh, behind you. Um, simply because if nothing else, just hold your hand out because that allows a person to push a little bit harder because they know the hand is there. Mm. Often we get to certain levels, turn our backs and forget. I don't do that. Mm. I'm here. You call on me, I got you. Hey, I appreciate it, Keith, man. I'm glad we glad we connected and uh, hopefully we catch up again. Definitely. Appreciate right. you. Blessings Thank to you, you and the family. Good, and I, good luck with everything. Call me hey, if you need me. Appreciate you as well. All right now. Bye-bye.